Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are talking about our fourth episode in our Love and Affection series. Is that right? Whoa. Is it four? It's four. You oh, know Jesus. Why, you know why I think it feels like we're going so fast? is because we don't have two parters for any of our episodes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, this is a good point. Yeah, there were so many episodes to cover in the family series that we had to split it up. But yeah, we're just cracking through this Love and Affection series. We're almost halfway. That's Whoa. pretty impressive. Like, we are killing it. And we're, we are very happy that you all have been joining us for this Love and Affection series. And... Today, we're going to be talking about the amazing characters in Voyager, so what can go wrong? Truly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nothing well. I can think of. Nothing <laughs> Neelix-related could go wrong, you know. Ah, or Harrison-related. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. All of that goes just swimmingly, so. <laughs> hey, Ashlyn, speaking of that, would you like to tell the audience today what episodes we chose for our Love and Affection Voyager series? Yes, Rihanna, I would love to tell you these episodes. This week, we watched Resolutions, Blood Fever, Day of Honor, Counterpoint, Someone to Watch Over Me, Disease, Fury, Unimatrix Zero, Part 1 and 2, and Drive. Woo! So once again, we chose these episodes out of a bunch. We narrowed them down and made a decision about which ones we thought had the most potential for love and affection, mostly so we didn't overwhelm ourselves and talk about every single episode of Voyager. So yeah, and Voyager is a different show than DS9 and TOS and TNG that we've been talking about in terms of love and affection, because I don't know. I think there's so much of a family that there aren't a ton of episodes where they get to have outside love interests, which obviously makes sense because they're stuck on Voyager. There's a lot of in dating within the ship, but usually they turn into solid couples yeah. as the years go on. So, so it's true. it was interesting because a lot of these love and affection episodes aren't as iconic as like the inner light episodes in other series that are known as true classics. A lot of these are very great episodes. All my favorite Voyager episodes are like Janeway fighting the Borg, which, you know, we cover in Unimatrix Zero, but it was really fun watching these episodes of Voyager. And I'm excited to talk about why it's just a little bit different than what we've discussed in our other podcasts. Yeah, Ashlyn, me too. And before we discuss that, before we dive in, <laughs> we first would like to do our segment for a Love and Affection series of what is your favorite ship, aka who is your favorite couple who is either canon or non-canon? Ashlyn, would you like to go first? I'm going first because Brianna knows what mine is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's Janeway and Chakotay, guys. You all know that because I've talked about that. If you've heard any other episode yeah. <laughs> of Dura Sisters podcast, I've probably mentioned that I love Janeway and Chakotay. They are the couple that never got together that I still have dreams about that I wish they had. Yeah, I love them. They're my favorite ship. Yeah, yeah I mean, 
If any of you follow us on Twitter, all of the content that's Jane Wayne Chicote is Ashlyn. So just <laughs> so you know, whenever you see it, you'll be like, there's Ashlyn going after it again. It's because I can't hold it in. It just bursts from me. And there are some really amazing people on Twitter that make beautiful posts about Jane Wayne Chicote. So I can't hold it in. I have well, to share it. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing at all. I really love Jane Wayne Chicote content. It's always fantastic. And it always gives you more than what actually happens, which is what I love so much about fandoms and what I love so much about our community that we found on Twitter and Tumblr to see what they're creating. And it's really just beautiful. It is. Shout out and respect. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rihanna, who is your favorite ship in Voyager? Besides Voyager. Besides Voyager, the Delta Flyer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had some back and forth here because a ship that I really enjoyed when I was younger was Tom Paris and Harry Kim because mm-hmm. I just love sort of the bromance, BFF, maybe lovers dynamic. But it honestly felt similar to how Data and Jordy feels where it could go either way, but it's more on the side of friendship. I would say that my favorite ship is actually Janeway in Seven of Nine because the more I watch the show, the more I just feel the love from the two of them. Janeway is always there to protect Seven of Nine. They have a lot of scenes where the tension is just very palpable and they are always going to each other for advice. I mean, I know Seven goes to the doctor for these social lessons, but she also goes to Janeway when she really needs something important and they trust each other for that. And I just love to see it. Well, and it's not too far off the mark. We know that Seven is a bi or lesbian character, you know, in Picard. We know that she definitely had a crush on Janeway, like, all of those years. Oh, I mean, Janeway was the one who got her... Oh, man, sorry. This could turn into a long conversation. (laughs) But yeah, Janeway was the one who basically had faith in her and helped her not become a Borg anymore and help her find her individuality. And she trusts Janeway more than anybody else, for sure. Yeah. Ashlyn, fantastic choice for your ship. I love it. And I love how Janeway is a part of each of ours because she's so incredible. And again, we've joked on this podcast before that we will talk about Janeway even when we're not on a Voyager episode. (laughs) So just get ready. We even had our dad tell us today that he doesn't watch Voyager. He's never watched any of it. And he was like, this Janeway person you're talking about sounds amazing. And I'm like, yeah, he gets it. When you have Janeway in your heart, it's impossible not to talk about her. So yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Well said. Before we do get to Janeway, we are going to first discuss probably most stable and consistent relationship on Voyager, which is Tom and Balana. And we discussed their relationship when it comes to family later on when they are having a kid together. And so we're not going over those episodes because we talked about them in their family series. This is more about their beginnings, the triumphs, the heartbreak, you know, all of the above. <laughs> the second chances. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the McCoy quote. I'm trying yeah. to grasp the da-da-da failures okay. and the glorious victories. The glorious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Our first episode in this segment is Blood Fever. sorry i just can't contain my laugh because it's like a weird episode but i also like it so when i hear the name i'm confused giggling (laughs) which is sort of a classic voyager mood like a lot of weird episodes Mm. that end up pretty good (laughs) yeah and i think it's the acting even if it's weird plots that the writers bring us they're such great acting it doesn't really bother me this episode, for example, the premise is bizarre. There's a Vulcan on Voyager going through Pond 
car and he touches Bolana. He grabs her chin or something. Her face. Like, yeah, like her face. Yeah. yeah, instinctively. He's definitely not trying to do it. And he accidentally bonds with her and gives Bolana Ponfar. Yeah. Um, and so all, without yeah. her consent, it's very dicey. And I just want to discuss that first. This is non-consensual. This is something that this Vulcan forced on her. I know that he was amidst the blood fever, so he was kind of out of his mind, but it's still very much glossed over in this episode. And I just want to shout out to Bolana for going through all of this after having been mentally assaulted by this Vulcan. Yeah, I was extremely disturbed by this. And it made me think about Vulcans in general and Ponfar because I would hate to be a bystander of someone who's going through Ponfar. They are desperate to mate with anyone around them. And it's definitely a danger. And so I can understand why they don't want to talk about it and hide those people away. They're almost like lepers mm-hmm. going through Ponfar. It's information that they don't want to even leave the planet. But I did not like this episode. I didn't like this premise. It just had me thinking about about hundreds of thousands of years of Ponfar and how being the prey of whoever's going through Ponfar just is awful and scary. We see Spock go through Ponfar, but he has a lot more mental discipline than this engineering Vulcan. And we see Tuvok is advising him to continue to meditate and try to calm his emotions down, even though it's kind of futile. Throughout the episode, Bolana is on a away mission with Tom and Neelix, and they're going through these caves, trying to get the deuterium or something. And Bolana becomes increasingly angry and aggressive until we realize, and they were realizing up on the ship, that she's going through Ponfar. Poor Tuvok is kind of being the translator of everything that she's feeling and trying to help both the poor lieutenant engineer who's going through Ponfar and Bolana. I thought it was great to see everyone on the ship doing their best to help the people down on the surface. Yeah, just a bizarre episode. I never thought I would see a Klingon go through Ponfar. The other part of this episode is that because Bolana's going through Ponfar, she wants to mate with Tom and she wants to have sex with Tom. And I absolutely love that Tom refuses to take advantage of her. And this, I think, is a great moment for him because up till this point, I think we've only seen Tom Paris, the fly boy. The female Q calls him Helmboy. <laughs> so we only see Helmboy, fly guy, Tom Paris, womanizing, being the stereotypical Kirk-esque character. I really like that this is a moment of development for him in his character, and it shows just how much he cares for Bolana beyond her physical attractiveness because he refuses to give in. Because I'm sure that he has wanted to sleep with Bolana for quite a long time as well, but he knows they're not gonna actually get together in the way that he wants if they have sex now and if they succumb to their urges, especially because Bolana's not in her right mind. It's really hard for him to resist, especially as it goes on, because he knows that Bolana could possibly die from this if she doesn't sleep with him. The endorphins are so wild with the Ponfar symptoms that he is taking this risk of losing her. He almost breaks his promise and sleeps with her, but he doesn't. He remains steadfast. It's the equivalent 
of someone asking to sleep with you when they're extremely inebriated and mm-hmm. you know this is not the right thing to do. They're not in their right mind. They're going to regret it in the morning. This is not good. And so I loved seeing Tom have some resistance. I thought it was a really awkward moment when Tuvok eventually orders Tom to sleep with her. Because <laughs> you just know Tuvok is thinking, oh God, why do I have to give this order? Right. <laughs> Bolana does indeed have feelings for Tom before any of this Ponfar stuff happens. And she is trying to bury them deep because she doesn't want to get hurt. And I think she doesn't think that she deserves happiness. And she doesn't think anyone would even like her because she's obsessed with how she's too Klingon and she's too strong-willed for any guy to love her, which of course is not true. I think her self-image has a lot of problems. And so Tom is definitely crushing on her. And there are episodes before this where I think we know that he's into her. It's interesting that this is how it gets brought up. Like this legendary relationship starts really when she goes through the pond far. And I think it's a test. And because Tom doesn't sleep with her, she's even more like, oh, whoa, he's a keeper. You know, he was able to resist when I was literally throwing myself at him. Yeah. And there's such an awkward moment in the turbo lift after Alana is back to normal. She still turns him down, which is totally fair. He says, I like you regardless of how angry you are or how outwardly emotional or whatever. He's like, you're everything I would wish for. And she says something like, be careful what you wish for. And I just think that you're right. Her self-esteem is still too low to be with anyone. And I think it's a good choice that she doesn't get with him in this episode because they both need time to grow and they both need to, I think, be friends for a little bit longer and really be certain that this is something they want to go through with because especially in their eyes they could be on the ship for 70 years this is a literal lifetime commitment and it would be so difficult if they broke up in the middle and still had to work on the same ship so i think it's smart that they're both taking all of this into account and that balana doesn't move too quickly Especially because they're both senior officers. We've explored how difficult this can be before. If two senior officers date each other, once it's over, they still have to communicate and be able to work well together. So it's definitely a tricky line. And even though I know Bolana is refusing him probably for the wrong reasons, I agree with you that they just have to think about it so much more in this situation. For sure. During Day of Honor, this is an episode that I had kind of forgotten about, but it's one of the most beautiful and touching episodes of Voyager. And I suggest you definitely go rewatch it. Balan is having this horrible day. Everything's going wrong. She doesn't want to complete this Klingon ritual. Then they have to eject the warp core, which is pretty much the worst case scenario. So then Tom and Bolana take a shuttle to go and pick up the warp core so that they can get it back into Voyager and continue their journey. But they're in the middle of this disagreement with this other species who takes their warp core or attempts to, to salvage it. And in the process, it is going to tear their ship apart because they're both trying to tractor beam it. It's tearing the shuttle apart. And so Tom and Blana get into their EVA suits or their astronauts in the regular spacesuits that they use and mm-hmm. beam themselves into space before the shuttle explodes. So this is why they are floating out in space trying to send a distress call to Voyager to get picked up. Yeah, and something happens to Tom's suit. So he's losing oxygen and Bellana, so noble, she takes her oxygen and sticks it into him. So they're sharing her remaining oxygen, which of course means it's going to go twice as fast. So this is obviously a high stake situation. And I think that is what Bellana needed 
to admit her feelings to Tom is a literal life or death situation where you have to say what you mean because you probably will die. This episode just sticks out to me because there are not many scenes in Star Trek where we actually get to see people doing a spacewalk Mm -hmm. or in the EVA suits really looking like traditional astronauts that we would Mm -hmm. think of today. And they're just free flying. It's something that just doesn't happen that much in Star Trek. And it was beautifully, beautifully filmed where the stars are just behind them and they're floating. And the closer they're getting to the oxygen running out, I mean, they're just holding each other and admitting their feelings. Poor Bellana, you mentioned she's having a terrible day. It was interesting to see her use excuse after excuse everything that would happen during the day that was so wrong she was using that to build the wall up around herself so no one could help her she was just pushing people away she was using any excuse possible to get out of doing this day of honor ceremony that she was actually looking forward to doing before all these interactions she has with tom he is so good for her he's patient he is understanding he he is willing to listen to her. That's what she needs, you know? Absolutely. So I just thought this was such a beautiful episode. It's gorgeous. And I do love the intimacy of literally sharing oxygen with someone, you know, yeah. to save their lives. Like your very life force they're sharing. And I really loved that idea. When you go through something like that with somebody, you would just be irrevocably changed, I think. And the two of them are just stubborn enough that I think it would have been hard for them to get together otherwise because Tom even tells her, you need to start being nicer to me. You're pushing me away, essentially. And Mm -hmm. and so I also really appreciate their candor in these episodes. I think that they say what they mean, even if it's harsh or even if it's maybe not the right thing to say. Because they're both so stubborn and they won't give up their position, which is, I think, really important for their growth and for the way that they talk to one another. I think that they are a wonderful couple who get to know each other kind of through trial by fire. Yeah, this episode reminded me of Lower Decks a little bit. I think it's the pilot or maybe second episode where Rutherford is on a date with someone and it's also trial by fire relationship and they're getting along so well and obviously... That doesn't end with Rutherford getting together with her, but it really, really reminded me of this episode, and I'm happy that they ended up getting together, Tom and Bolana, in this episode. Also, Tom and Bolana remind me a lot of O'Brien and Keiko, mm-hmm. and I think also that Tom and Bolana are the relatable couple on Voyager. They're a couple that fights a lot, kind of like oil and water, where mm-hmm. they're they're different, but also they're the same too. I think Tom also suffers a lot from lack of confidence. I mean, he has an ego, but I think it's covering up what he really feels, which is that he's inadequate because, you know, all his daddy issues, which you can listen for in our family episode. Yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that they end up getting married. And let's talk about Drive a little bit. Yeah. So as you said, not remembering Day of Honor, I don't remember Drive at all until I was watching this episode. I was like, a race? Like, <laughs> what is uh, this plot? They want to do this big race in over like a million kilometers or I don't know, a bunch of astronomical units. <laughs> this is a trope I don't love that they often attach to men in not just Star Trek, but in television in general, that men are not attentive to anniversaries and dates. You know, I mean, I think that Tom sometimes isn't given the benefit of the doubt because maybe he's being sort of an airhead. I understand that. 
But I don't like that that's sort of a trope about men is they don't remember the like important date that the women always remember or something like that. But in this episode, Tom completely forgets about their romantic getaway they're going to have in the holodeck. And he signed himself up for this race. And Bolana's super disappointed because she put a lot of effort into this holodeck program and wanted everything to be perfect for this weekend that they were getting together. I, of course, was also disappointed in Tom in Paris. I was like, come on, dude, you forgot your weekend getaway. It's clearly important to her. It kind of made me think, is he reverting back to his flyboy, just trying to be cool? Like, what is going on with him? But I think truly he just got swept up in the moment of excitement of, yeah, there's a race. He helped create the Delta Flyer, so of course he would want to enter it into the race. That sounds like a blast, you know? And he's a pilot. That's like right. everything that's right up his alley is in this race. And it's competitive, which he also loves, and it's with his best friend, Harry. So, like, there's a lot that he's thinking about. But it just made me frustrated in the beginning of this episode to see that he's just completely forgetting about Bolana and this really sweet thing that she was putting together. It's not common that Bolana would put that much effort into a romantic endeavor because that's not her style, but she's trying to expand her romantic limbs and she's sort of taking this chance it's not coming into fruition the way that Bolana didn't want and something that I would also be really frustrated about yeah with Tom I I don't know I had a couple different thoughts about this interaction yes I'm disappointed he didn't remember the getaway but I think to be fair and Neelix points this out when he talks to Bolana Bolana never told him how hard it was for her to get holodeck time And I understand maybe her not telling him if it was a surprise, you know, like if she Mm -hmm. was planning this as a surprise, but it's not. It's something that they talked about for a while. So I think that's kind of on her for not telling him that this really, really is important to me. Because if Tom had known, he would have been like, oh, I'm dumb. Sure, that sounds great, you know? Because we see when Bolana brings it up during the race, he stops the flyer in this in this race that's supposed to be so important to him. He totally just stops it and said, we're not going to go on until I know what's going on with you. I think one result of their relationship being forged in fire is that unfortunately, big emotional moments will only come and will continue to come when there's something else going on, when it's a high stress situation. Balana just can't say how she feels. And this is a red flag for me because how are they going to have a good relationship and make a family if they can't be honest with each other? Mm -hmm. And specifically if Balana is keeping everything in because she says – there are so many issues with this relationship. And she brings up this conversation by comparing them to Harry and this random lady who's in the race, which is such a bad comparison because they just met. And sure, Harry's like flushed and excited because he just met somebody hot. But that's not a comparison at all to a multi-year relationship that's serious, you know, that what Tom and Bolana have. Tom doesn't think that anything's wrong. He's like, I wasn't even aware we were having problems. So... Bellana is overthinking this so much and she's not sharing what she needs to be sharing with Tom. And I think his bold gesture was exactly what she needed. I personally, it's hard for me when I'm in a relationship and I have something serious to talk about because I think that timing is everything. I want to plan that conversation. I want to have it. 
at a time where nothing else is going on and it will be well received maybe after we've had dinner we've eaten yeah. you know but that doesn't always happen that way and sometimes I'll work up the courage and it's a perfect moment but then I chicken out at the last minute yeah. or by the time you do get the courage it's at the least convenient time and so I think this is what's happening with Balana is she's able to bring it up when they're doing something like trying to win this race I'm just so glad that Tom had this bold gesture and they were able to really talk it through. And also, Tom, it's important for him that he finally knows that words of affirmation is Bolana's love language. He needs to be saying more things because she's super insecure. And so if she's not hearing that the relationship is going well, she's assuming it's going badly. I relate with her so much because I've definitely done that in previous relationships where you just think it's not going well, but really it's going great, but your partner's not saying it. And also you're not communicating with them. So it's definitely an issue that both of them have. And I love to see them smoothing things out in this way. Absolutely. I was literally just going to talk about love languages. So that's perfect that you brought this up with Bolana. Because I do think she is a words of affirmation person. Paris is very much action-oriented, whether it's acts of service. He is way more of a show-not-tell the way that he shows love. And this is very clear in this episode. Because, he, yeah, like you said, he literally stops the race, which is great because it ends up saving everyone's life. They don't know this, but it's true. <laughs> and... I just think, yeah, he's a big gesture kind of guy. He's a all-in um, person. And so he proposes to Bolana in the shuttlecraft seconds before it's going to self-destruct. The highest proposal stakes ever. But what I love about it is that Bolana does not answer right away. She's like, we're, we're about to die. Like, this is crazy. And then once the crisis is over... He's like, I'm still waiting for your answer. And she's like, you didn't say that just because we were about to die. And he's like, no, I, I want to marry you. Let's go. And so that's something that I love about Tom Paris is the follow through. He's a man of action, but he will also follow through on his word. He's not just doing it just for the grand gesture, but he kind of likes the drama. He knows that Bolana can be sort of receptive to that and really appreciates those big moments because it shows that he loves her deeply and that no race or something stupid is going to get in the way of that. And it's a really kind of a cornerstone episode for them. It's important for their relationship for both of them to understand that they need to start communicating better. Like you said, sometimes they just need a little flair of the dramatic and then it gets the job done, which is not how I want my relationship to be. But, you know, to each their own. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. I do not want this life or death stakes. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Bolana suggests he takes her last name, Tom Torres, and he's like, what do you mean? Are you kidding? And Bolana's like, well, it is the 24th century. So I, I, I am excited for a time where we can just choose who takes the last name if we want a last name to be taken yes. because it should be based off of what sounds better, honestly. You know, yeah. like who cares about the gender? It should just be like, oh, what name sounds cooler with this new name attached? <laughs> Agreed. 100%. Or, or, you know, no name change, whatever you want. It should just be whatever. So Agreed. Thank yeah. you, Ashlyn. What a good TED talk. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Seven of Nine. This is a huge uh, 180 turn here. <laughs> <laughs> Seven is actually seen observing Tom and Bolana 
in the episode Someone to Watch Over Me because she is actually interested in dating and finding out more about romantic relationships. And the doctor in this episode plays an interesting role because he self-appoints himself as her relationship teacher. And there's like 35, 40 lessons which I think is good for Seven because that's how she functions is she just performs her duties based off of a list. And so I guess if the lessons and the syllabus is all laid out ahead of time, she knows what to expect and she's got it all memorized. I knew pretty much right away that the doctor was starting to fall for Seven because who doesn't fall for Seven? I mean, first of all, she's beautiful. That's the superficial reasoning. There's a big line. Oh, if you want to date with Seven, get in line. And also she's candid and she kind of has this like charming way about her where she doesn't know that she's charming and she's funny again I don't think she knows that she's funny but a lot a lot of her timing is really great Mm -hmm. and she's just very matter of fact about things and so it's awesome and interesting to see her try to go on dates in these holodeck situations that the doctor sets up for her Mm -hmm. she's trying to master small talk she's trying to have a nice time with a guy and her first date ends spectacularly when she tears the tendon of the guy she's trying to dance with when she's (laughs) trying to turn him around during the dance or trying to spin does not know her own strength (laughs) no No, she definitely doesn't. Yeah, I think this is just a very interesting exploration for Seven to begin in herself. It's hard to imagine someone who reaches adult maturity but does not ever explore that because she was a Borg. Yeah, you know? social cues. Yeah, I have – it's weird. I have like two opposing sides in my brain, one side that really loves this episode and one side that just feels like there's a lot of issues with it. And – I think that exploring both, you know, is good, but I want to talk a little bit about the fact that I know this isn't a feminist podcast, but I think it's important to bring up, especially when we're talking about the ways in which women are treated as dates, especially in heteronormative environment. So we see that, like you said, the doctor is giving seven these dating lessons And at one point, Tom Paris comes into the holodeck to watch and see what's going on, why they've been in the holodeck for so long. And this is when Seven is mastering small talk. Tom and the doctor make a bet. The bet is she's going to bring a date to the dinner, but will the date stay with her the whole night or will he leave right away because she's going to offend him or something? Right. Basically, can she keep a date through the night? It's an extremely offensive thing to use a woman and use their seven is clearly going through relearning actually learning for the first time social cues and dating is really hard even if you have grown up in a society where you're entrenched in social cues and culture and environments it's really hard without being a borg for your entire young adult life and young life i mean she was assimilated when she was very young and so I think this is extremely offensive that they are using her as an object just to see who's going to get money. They're not trading money, but they're doing vacation time. I am very, very glad that Seven found out because the doctor ends up starting to have feelings for Seven. And so he ends up taking her to the dinner. And during this time, she finds out that they had a bet going she immediately terminates the date. She's like, we're done. I had a lovely evening. Goodbye. And 
I absolutely love this scene because it's Seven having zero tolerance for this BS that these two immature men are using her as a way to get time off. They probably don't think that it comes from a place of poking fun or humiliating her, but that's exactly how it comes across is that the doctor was only doing it so he could only ask her out so that he could win this bet. And then, you know, there's this whole other, there's this drunk ambassador guy who is also (laughs) really attracted to her. And I love when he grabs her arm, she throws him off and sit, or she says like, let go of me or I will remove your arm or something like that. Just so badass. I love her in this scene. But I really hate that it has to go this way because Seven is already struggling to learn the nuances of relationships and dating and social cues. And I just am constantly thinking how much better off they would be if every starship had a Deanna Troy. I know we've been talking about this in every single Love and Affection series, but I think that if Troy were here to guide Seven through this instead of the Doctor, it would have gone way smoother Because also, I think it really, it doesn't make a huge difference because I think that a lot of gender constructs are just that, constructs. But I think that sometimes it is nice to have a woman's perspective on dating when you are identifying as a woman because it's just more of a kindred spirit and you understand sort of the nuances, especially if you are choosing to date someone of the opposite sex, then it's easier to talk to a woman about it because they've also been through the sort of mess that can be misogynistic behavior and these these uh, more complex systems of hierarchy when it comes to dating because there's just a lot, a lot of nuances that even the doctor I don't think understands because he's a identifies as a man. I don't know. That's my sort of feminist rant because I just think that she deserves so much better than people putting bets on her. And I think that the doctor is actually very remorseful when he realizes that he's starting to catch feelings for her. He knows he made a mistake and he knows that he shouldn't have used her as an object like that. Yeah, he really blew it because I think he could have maintained a relationship with Seven maybe Mm -hmm. for like a year or something. I mean, he's definitely got an ego and he's very high and mighty about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to the core of it, the doctor is someone who wants to help you. Mm -hmm. And it's very sweet to see him going above and beyond to help Seven out with this. And I think he's so eager to help her even before he catches feelings because he knows what it's like. He's been going through that himself. This whole season or the whole show so far has been him trying to figure out who he is. Yeah, like I'm a hologram, but I'm not Zimmerman. I'm my own special flavor that is the doctor. Yeah. And so this is a terrible example, but now I've been working at retail right now, like at Dick's Sporting Goods for a couple months. And whenever we have a new person coming in, for some reason, I want to train them because even though I'm not the senior person there mm-hmm. at all, I'm, I should not be training people, but I really want to give people help and I give them tips because I just went through it. I just went through the training process and I know what is reality and what's not. And I feel like I have like insider information that other people don't, even though my colleagues who are supposed to be training people are experts. (laughs) And so I think the doctor feels similarly where he's just been through this and he feels like, oh, I have all the shortcuts. I have all the answers. I know how to help Seven right now. But 
exactly like you said, he has his own flaws to deal with. And it turns out that he made a huge mistake by by choosing to bet on seven. And I'm so glad that she just didn't take it, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I really appreciated it. Something else I really like in this episode is when Seven is on the lesson about asking someone out and going on her first date. I mentioned it doesn't end well, but I thought it was great that she was the one pursuing the relationship and she's going to this guy in engineering, I can't remember his name, and saying, hey, let's have dinner tonight. Please show up at seven. <laughs> ha ha, yeah. at seven. Um, yeah. <laughs> or whatever time she says. I think it's great to show women as the ones initiating relationships and asking people out. Let's destroy as many of these gender constructs as we can. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I liked seeing that a lot. Yeah, definitely a Judzia Dax vibe for this. Yes, yes, absolutely. Exactly. As good as it is for Seven to have these opportunities and have these lessons with the doctor, what we don't know and what we find out in Unimatrix part one and two in the beginning of season seven is that Seven has actually had a six-year relationship that she totally forgot about because Unimatrix Zero is this Borg dream haven where mm -hmm. some drones have a mutation and they come here when they sleep at night and they can appear as their normal selves without the appearance of being a drone and they have their own memories separate from the collective and they mm -hmm. can use the word I and it's really just a paradise, but you don't remember it when you wake up. And so poor Seven, once she returns to Unimatrix Zero, she realizes that she's had a relationship with this guy for a long time. She doesn't really remember the relationship too much. I think it's really buried at the back of her mind. And more and more as the episode goes on, the two-parter continues. She does have more memories returned to her. And I really like this relationship that they have. Axum is someone who's definitely a leader in this community. And I think Seven likes that about him, that he takes charge, but also he's extremely kind and very thoughtful and considerate of her and is always asking her how she's doing and, <laughs> yeah. and things like that. So I can, I, I kind of think that this Unimatrix Zero community is like Schitt's Creek where <laughs> it's like a small town, like everybody's really close to each other and you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, there's Daryl who runs the shop, you know? <laughs> totally. um, yeah. So I, I really, really, really love this episode. Someday, I think we'll probably do a Borg series, I feel like, and we're going to mm -hmm. have to talk more about the Borg aspects of this episode. But just in terms of Annika and Axum's relationship, I really like it. And I think it's important that Seven understands that she has the capacity to be in a long-term relationship. Even if she doesn't remember it, those instincts are still there. So she can, I think, trust herself a little bit more going forward. Absolutely. And I think that it's important for her also to ex exist in this space where she just is Annika and she's not Seven of Nine of tertiary adjunct, <laughs> you know, of the, you know, whatever. But I think that she when she can just be as human as possible in this unimatrix zero environment i think it's important for her to experience humanity in this way that she never got to she was stripped away of it and that she can exist in unimatrix zero without her implants and not that she is very concerned with outward appearance but i think that it does create a certain confidence when you get to 
look like the self that you truly want to be. I really appreciated this about Unimatrix Zero. I loved the Klingon who was in there. He was so cool. Yeah, you're right. It seemed like they had a really cool, close-knit community. There's children there, which makes me very sad because I'm thinking about these bored kids. I very much appreciated the... Just the love that she's getting from Axum is really sweet. And I think you're right. He's just the kindest man. He seems like he's very so much in love with her, which is really tough because halfway through this episode, when she's finding out more about their past, she does not want to get back with him. And she says their relation, she calls their relationship irrelevant. Ooh, that's a kick in the gut for him because they found a way so that they could retain their memories when they are done with their regeneration cycle and they leave Unimatrix Zero. I really think it's just Seven trying to, again, protect her own heart and close herself off because this is a tough relationship to maintain. I mean, it's only when you're regenerating. We find out that Axum is in a completely different quadrant. He's in the beta, beta. quadrant. Yeah, distant, yeah. distant part of the beta quadrant. Which is where they're on the Delta Quadrant is just so, so far, like really just opposite ends of the universe here. Talk about Starcross lovers. Literally, they are not, it's just not meant to be. They cannot do this long distance relationship forever. And Seven knows that. And so I think that the more she discovers about him, the more she pulls away because it's just going to be harder if they actually try to get together. Yeah, I think she hopes against hope that when they're all freed from being drones that she'll be able to be with him. And it's just so sad that that will never happen. I mean, again, now that we have Picard, who knows what could happen, but Mm -hmm. I really doubt they're going to bring back Axum. (laughs) Yeah, I doubt. They barely even brought back Ichib, but like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was a terrible cameo. It was a cameo of death. Yeah. (laughs) One other thing I love about this episode is the Klingon, who I I love, again, I'm just obsessed with this Klingon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He tells her in Unimatrix Zero to treat her heart like the enemy, because he also probably knows heartache and he knows that especially being a Borg living in this Unimatrix only when you're regenerating, it's just an impossible place to find love and not impossible, obviously, because they found it, but it's, it's very difficult. And I think it was good advice. She hopes distantly that she'll be able to see Axum again, but I think they both know that they're not going to. And so there is this finality when they are saying goodbye at the end. I just think that Seven of Nine deserves happiness. And I, she's like my dream girl. I don't know why, but I just love how candid she is. I love how she's not going to BS you. She's going to be very honest. And I love that. And I just, yeah, she deserves the world. And I'm sad that she can't get it in this episode. Yeah, I think... It's, I think she's kind of reminded in this one that the more you love, the more it hurts. Loving someone, relationship, friends, having, having people you care about around you is amazing. And it's what makes life worth living. But then when that goes, it makes it harder. And so I think, oh God, we're, I'm going to bring up Harry Potter again, but it's like what Dumbledore tells Harry when Sirius dies. Don't you feel human? It's an amazing and horrible part about being alive and being human is that the more you love, the more you suffer, but mm-hmm. it's it's worth it. Ha oh, this, this is a friendly, funny podcast. Ha ha ha. love and affection episode. <laughs> Open your heart and you won't get hurt. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it, yeah. it's hard it's hard in the delta quadrant environment too and that's why i think we've had such trouble finding episodes in voyager that aren't just depressing about love and affection is because of this distance both physical and um, and emotional that these characters put up because it's hard it's hard to be in a completely different quadrant fighting for your life trying to get back home and find love along the way yeah someone who knows a lot about trying their hardest to make a relationship happen but is just terrible at it is harry kim i think he's he's a prime example of someone who really (laughs) really wants to be dating but oh he can't figure it out (laughs) always choosing the wrong girls and poor kim is reminded about this every single time he has a new love interest Paris is right next to him. He just pops up and he's like, hey, remember you fell for a Borg? You remember you fell for the this the person? The dead lady? Yeah. <laughs> you fell for all of these aliens, people who, a hologram. I do feel bad that Tom keeps bringing it up because that's not a very good motivator. He should be hyping his friend up and not bringing him down. But yeah, poor luckless Kim is really just struggling out here. We talked briefly about the episode Drive, where he does have a love interest with a woman who is ends up being the saboteur and <laughs> nearly gets everyone killed. So again, his track record is just not good. And we did not choose very many Harry Kim episodes because they're just a disaster to watch. Yeah, the, the one we chose to watch for this episode is called The Disease, which is a weird title mm-hmm. considering it's about love. But in the first five minutes, I think, Harry and, and Seven are hanging out in Astrometrics and Harry's describing how he's feeling. And she says, it sounds like a disease. Comparing yeah. love to a disease, which of course Seven would do that. It's a very literal term but harry actually has a successful relationship poor guy Mm -hmm. but it's with someone who's a part of this very xenophobic culture who hates outsiders and they're on a generation ship (laughs) where Mm -hmm. janeway has ordered everyone really to not have contact with people in this other race and so it's kind of a romeo and juliet forbidden love type thing and it's definitely not sustainable i mean I know that Harry leads with his heart, not with his brain, because how could this relationship possibly work out? Is he going to leave Voyager and just join this crew? Is she going to leave her race and join Voyager all the way home? You know, that's like basically committing to marry Harry, (laughs) which she's, you know, not going to do. The other interesting aspect of this episode that kind of adds like some spice to it is that their race has a bonding aspect to when they connect physically you know when they're mm-hmm. new in the dirty yep. <laughs> <laughs> a bond is formed between the two lovers and basically the more you're together the stronger the bond becomes and when you're apart it's like going through withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. and so in a way kind of like you get addicted to being mm-hmm. with your partner and i don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I think this race of people obviously is used to it and Mm -hmm. that's what's normal for them. For me, I feel like it'd be easy to get with the wrong person. What if you're with someone who you're not compatible with, but then you're addicted to being with them or someone who's really toxic? It just seems a little risky. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think even in a relationship with someone you really care for, it's still kind of unhealthy to be with them 24-7 because then codependency forms and it becomes this no turn it back now kind of thing and 
at least for humans or humanoids that like have sort of similar love cultures that we do, I think that is just really not very healthy. Like we need time away from our partners. We can't be with them 24 seven. And I think, I think it's a good thing. You need that distance, you know? I think when you are in the honeymoon phase, you don't realize that. And Harry has never been with someone long enough to make it past the honeymoon phase. He's had very short-term relationships. And so, of course, he doesn't view this as being unhealthy. Another interesting aspect of this is Janeway because she's coming down really hard on Harry for pursuing this relationship. And he really doesn't care. And I don't know, Rihanna, do you think that Harry is – disobeying more and more orders because he's becoming like the their chemical bond is getting stronger or do you really think that he truly loves her not considering the bond at all he finally found someone in his life that is worthy of not being perfect officer for do you think that love is real or do you think he's really feeling that disease that's something i was going back and forth in in this episode because it does seem like he's being more and more irrational but also who isn't irrational when they're falling in love and so I think it is a combo I think definitely his already deep feelings for her were ushered along by this chemical bond that they had and so I think it made him a little more reckless because Harry Kim is not like as Janeway points out Harry Kim is not one to break protocol for anything let alone a girl and so i think that that is why janeway is so shocked she's has this funny line she's like tom paris i would have expected but you like i didn't even realize you would do this yeah i think it's a little bit of both i don't think he would have gone to the extremes had he not been infected by this disease but i think his feelings for her were very genuine and deep i think he wanted to make sacrifices for her and the disease helped him do it (laughs) i totally agree with you i think Harry believes that it's just love that's making him do all of these things because he doesn't have that much experience with Mm -hmm. relationships. I really like his rebuttal to Janeway, and she explains to him that she's coming down hard on him because she views him like a son. To him, he's little baby boy, Ensign Kim, who just needs help in the world and needs guidance, and she wants to be mom. That's her natural inclination (laughs) in Voyager with the whole crew. She does special things for them. Like, we've seen her in other episodes having breakfast with specific crew members when they're feeling down, Mm -hmm. and she's someone who really keeps tabs on everybody emotionally and physically. And so that's exactly what she's doing for Harry. She sees him going down the wrong path and is trying to stop it. But what I love that Harry says back to her is because they're discussing the doctor can treat you and you'll fall out of love with her and and you'll be fine. Like basically you'll be able to cover no problem without any heartache. And Harry gets angry and says, have you ever been in love, Captain? And if you could, would you take medicine that would remove that heartache? from you like of course not you'd want to feel it and Janeway responds yeah I've been in love I remember that fiance who I left back on earth so who left her? She, she understands but Harry is still he's just young you know and he's yeah. fighting he's fighting for his love but it's true I would definitely not take away the heartache because mm-hmm. that's sometimes the only way that you can really have closure in a relationship is going through that pain and really feeling the breakup and feeling the consequences of it. And from that, you know, oh, I I really cared about this person. Is it worth getting over them or should I go back to them and date them again? You learn a lot about yourself when you're going through that period of mourning of the relationship. And 
uh, it's very important. And I, I just like that Harry pointed that out. And I'm sad that he did end up breaking things off with her. I'm proud of her too, because she was a part of this rebel faction where she was really standing up with hundreds of others to their government on the generation ship, the government ship, huh? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> they really broke off from this. So I'm happy that she's free to pursue her own life, just like Harry is free to c- continue exploring space. Absolutely. I have nothing to add that was beautifully said. Well, you know, diving now a little bit deeper into Janeway and all of her various relationships, we know that she was dating Mark when Voyager first starts. And once they're able to receive letters, we know that Mark breaks up with her, which is very sad. And all the puppies are grown because <laughs> she, she, raises, she raises puppies with him. And that's just so hard because I can imagine that she probably wanted to start a family with him. And so giving that up is really hard. I think first I want to talk about the episode counterpoint where Janeway has a relationship or has a a fling with this guy. You want to give us the plot or just a little summary of that, Rihanna? Yeah, absolutely. So they are traveling. Voyager is currently traveling through an area of space that is highly xenophobic against telepaths. They do not allow any telepaths on the ships. The ones who do, who ones who are found are taken to a pretty much like a internment camp it's really awful so we see these really deep inspections going on and voyager is actually has stowaways stowaways who are telepaths that they're transporting through this very dangerous system of space getting them to a planet or a colony that's gonna be safe for them outside of this space which is wild and very dangerous they hide them in the transporter buffer while the inspection is going on and that includes tuvok and this Vulcan that we talked about in the episode of Blood Fever, <laughs> as well as a couple of Betazoids who are on the ship. And so obviously we care about Tuvok and our crew of Voyager, but there's also all of these refugees essentially who are trying to escape. And so it's a very admirable goal that Janeway is helping them out and getting them through this horrible situation. It's very, it's horrible what they're doing to these telepaths and that they can't even be in this space. But anyway, so Janeway has been meeting with the same guy every time they do inspections. He seems to just be there always. And so he's starting to learn her music file. And so he's like playing Mahler or like, I don't know what Tchaikovsky. Yeah, there's so much music I want to talk about in this episode because I was screaming. This is like my wheelhouse of knowing what all these symphonies are. So I was like, ah, it's Mahler 1. OMG, like it's the third movement of Tchaik 6. You know, (laughs) like I was freaking out. So I'm just going to like hold it in from now on. But yeah, this episode, if you're a big music nerd, like you have to watch it because it's full of huge giant diamond gems. <laughs> well, and actually, Ashlyn, I wanted to dive into the music a little bit. Like when they played a certain movement or a certain symphony, do you think that it had any sort of relevance to the way they were feeling about each other? Because Janeway is starting to get closer to this man and he's playing different music. And because the reason they get closer is because he's deciding to defect from this government because as he tells Janeway, he's starting to feel very guilty about rounding up telepaths and sending them to these camps. So this is what we believe. We find out later on that he's a dirty liar, and but Janeway also had prepared for that. <laughs> but yeah. there's these scenes where they're talking in the 
mess hall and they're playing their different music and I just thought it was interesting like the choices they made obviously I'm not a music nerd like Ashlyn don't know like the ins and outs of these certain symphonies but yeah I was curious I know we don't have to dive into it too deep we'll save it for our music episodes (laughs) do you think that there was a meaning behind them well I can't speak for all of it but the one I definitely agree with is Mahler 1 because and they play that I believe at the beginning I think it's the very end when Janeway's like let's change it up no they do they do both I think that's Mm -hmm. the first piece that um they that is played when they're together Mahler 1 is really I'm trying to do this like without getting too crazy (laughs) but Mahler wrote a lot of song cycles for orchestra he was the first composer to write a song but with a huge orchestra Mm -hmm. uh to accompany the singers and the one he wrote right before he released Mahler one is five love songs and the melody is in one of the songs is very very similar to Mahler one and the lyrics that the soprano is singing is all about love and finding new love and that rush of how new love is like spring where you feel the wind in your hair and you're walking around this like beautiful town and you're happy because the nature is beautiful but also happy because you have someone in your heart that's basically all the german songs that's Mm -hmm. what they're all about or they're in the snow and their hearts are filled with sorrow that's all german music that's all you need to know uh you can just you can pass now your couple years of music history anyway um and so i thought and Mahler one in general is like very joyful and a very loving symphony and so yeah that's that's what i know you know it's it's uh it's also kind of a gem like i think star trek is prone to playing beethoven and mozart and pieces that everybody knows and so i really like that they were playing not deep cuts but stuff that maybe the general public wouldn't really know if you are not into classical music which makes sense totally for janeway and sort of her aesthetic i'll say or her vibe uh because i think that she's less straight-laced than picard and picard would be i feel like be sort of the guy to just play Beethoven and just be very, he's very like classic but I feel like Janeway is sort of a deep cut person and I do think that she's intentional about playing Mahler one as sort of a beginning as sort of a maybe like you were saying a budding love or a budding romance which they do have they do like end up kissing in this episode they get along really well but then when she finds out that he's betrayed her she I, I like that she plays at the end as sort of a haha f you I've also betrayed you, you know, and yeah. like, what our love could have been, but but you were slipping. So <laughs> essentially, that's kind of cool. So thank you for your background. Yeah, sure. I would love to go deeper. So someday, someday. one of our music series coming yeah. up eventually. Yeah. So now I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Janeway and Chakotay. It's the Ross and Rachel of Voyager. <laughs> Chakotay's a million times better than Ross. <laughs> oh God, yeah, there's no comparison. <laughs> I'm actually, I can I take it back? Can I not say Ross and Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, um, yeah. Oof. So the the big episode that comes to mind when I think about Janeway Chakotay is Resolutions, which is so far back in season two. Yeah. I was so surprised that it was so early on in Voyager, but 
it's obvious that Janeway and Chakotay have chemistry right from the beginning when they decide to join the Maquis and Starfleet people and mix them all together. Janeway and Chakotay always have chemistry. They always have a good rapport. They always have very clear communication. And I never really thought that Chakotay was pining for Janeway until I saw resolutions. And then I know that after, for the rest of the season, it, no matter who he says he's dating seven, gross. Rest um, of the series have all have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest of the series, yeah. He is always going to be in love with Janeway first because mm-hmm. he builds her a bathtub. She has one sentence about complaining that, she, oh, she doesn't like sonic showers. And then Chakotay builds her a bathtub! Like, from <laughs> the materials they have on this planet. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's providing for her in every way that she's not asking for. Right? Because she is obsessed with trying to find a way off this planet. Because Janeway is someone who needs to be on the move. Mm-hmm. And I think is definitely afraid of settling down. Even though she might have wanted a family in another life, I think her experience on Voyager has really changed her because she doesn't want to stay in the Delta Quadrant and she does want to get home and she's still committed to protecting her crew and helping them get home. Even if it's pretty much impossible for them to return to Voyager, she does not want to accept it. And Mm She only does when nature itself stops her research. There's a horrible storm slash earthquake, some kind of seismic event, mm-hmm. and their shelter is destroyed. All of her research, everything she's been working on for the, like weeks and weeks and weeks is dead, is totally gone. She like hangs out with a monkey. I don't know why the monkey was there, but just that alone was a really interesting view into Janeway's mind. And I think she's afraid to let herself fall for Chakotay because she knows it'll be all over and she won't be able to, or she thinks she won't be able to be an effective captain and be with Chakotay, which, boo, I disagree. Disagree. (laughs) That's not true. You can do both. You can have it all. (laughs) I mean, like Kirk and Spock are already married. Yeah. They make it work. (laughs) Yeah, I I really think that this is a fascinating character study for both Janeway and Chakotay because this is the only time we really see them have to be stagnant. And like you said, Janeway does not love it. She has for sure the Starfleet captain's disease of always having to be on the move, always having to be in command and in control. And she hates being grounded like this. And I kind of love to see how they both deal with this situation because Chakotay settles in. <laughs> like, he's like, all right, let's set up shop. We are just staying here forever together. All well. I think you're absolutely right because he's been crushing on her. And I think that had Voyager not calmed them, had it been maybe a day later, they definitely would have slept together or at least kissed or at least started something because I feel like they were on the precipice of something really special here when Janeway finally is forced to stop her research and they have this really lovely conversation about connection and love. And uh, Janeway, something I really admire about her is the fact that she's like, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, just like Ashlyn was just like that (laughs) about this episode. She's also like, 
we need to discuss these feelings that we clearly have for each other and see what the heck is going on with these feelings because that's not something that will just go away. It's very wise of her to know that they have to discuss it. This is how she is. She's a go-getter. She's a Starfleet captain. She's going to face her problems head on. And that includes her problems of falling in love potentially with her first officer and him falling in love with her. And I just find this episode to be devastating because of timing. I think that we talked about this in our last episode that a lot of love is about luck and timing. Thanks, Ted Mosby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Again, coming back here. Their timing was just off and it continues to be off for the rest of the series because Janeway, I think, is so hyper-focused on getting her crew back that she does not want to open up herself to the possibility of love when she feels the burden of all of her crewmates' life on her shoulders every single day. Because every time she loses a crew member in the Delta Quadrant, that's one crew member who will never get to see home again. And so imagine the kind of burden that you carry around from that. And so I think the fact that she could lose Chakotay at any time that she would have to power on without him. There's all of these possibilities that just frighten her. And I think that that holds her back from being truly able to accept his love because I think Chakotay is very willing to just love her to death and love her for everything that she is. He loves her grumpy side. He loves her belligerentness, her tenacity, everything that makes Janeway so incredible is the reason that he loves her and she wants to love him. I think she really does, but I think she's just scared. And we've talked about this with Picard and with all of the captains we've discussed who attempt a relationship, especially with someone on board their ship or on board the station. It is just can get so messy so quickly. I don't know what the right decision is. I don't think there is one. And I think, again, it just comes back to really terrible timing. So what do you think about this conversation that they had, Ashlyn? I love when Chakotay tells this story, which he says is from his tribe, about this young man who was lost and didn't know what he wanted to do with his life and was just a free spirit roaming around, but never truly satisfied until he met a really powerful woman and he found that true peace. And he also talks about how he's at war with himself over his whole life. And then he's able to find peace by giving this woman what she wants and by loving her. And then Janeway totally calls him out and is like, that's not really a story from your tribe. (laughs) your story for me yeah yeah and he says yeah it's yeah you're right but it's easier for me to tell you this way and oh man my heart you you might be able to hear it breaking on this podcast we have our mics turned up pretty loud so (laughs) my heart is leaking I oh. as Rihanna was talking I was thinking about the episode where Janeway dies and she's like in a ghost world and Chakotay mm-hmm. is like weeping over her corpse so that's yeah. what's going through my mind when I'm thinking about resolutions and how close they came to having something so beautiful oh, yeah. man if I was trapped on a planet with someone random from my ship especially with my first officer I think I'd want to kill him it's amazing to me that in this episode there's not fluctuations of them fighting and then their friends and they're fighting and they're you know there's conflict resolution no they are perfect at communicating yeah. with each other because they they're just 
two peas in a pod. They they have an amazing give and take. He's always keeping her laughing. She has such drive and determination. Janeway's afraid to take that step, and I understand. But it also breaks my heart even further thinking about the finale of Voyager, which is that Seven and Chakotay are together, and they both end up dying. Ooh. But yeah, yeah, boo is right. And... <laughs> I see Janeway's desperation when she goes to Chakotay's grave and she's talking to him like he's there. Like she's totally in denial. I think she loves him and she was never able to tell him because as soon as they're back, then suddenly Chakotay and Seven were dating Mm -hmm. and she doesn't want to destroy their relationship. So I just think again, you know, timing is a B word. Timing is the worst. And I... How many times do I have to say, where's our sequel where they get together? But it's fine. I'm holding it in. Uh, um, yeah, it's fine. Robert Beltran, what are you doing? Do you want to like come over and then I can have Kate Mulgrew together and we'll just like film a scene where you guys get married? Can we just do that? Um, yeah, so I'm just so sad that the moment that Janeway's able to accept Chakotay and maybe love him and create a life together it's snatched away from them and I think that's so cruel and to have them go going back to just being first officer and captain is terrible because they have to shut it down I mean Mm -hmm. I think Chakotay is just quietly loving her from afar for the rest of the show they're not even like a Troy and Riker type relationship where they talk about it you know and whenever one gets in a relationship they have a big discussion it's not like that at all they're both just suppressing it because they know if they talk about it they're gonna just fall in love all over again writers really did them dirty and it's just very upsetting to see Especially for poor Ashlyn, because I just see her struggling through (laughs) these moments, and it's just hard to watch. (laughs) You hate to see your loved ones in pain, and especially shipping pain. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's especially bad for me because I've shipped them for like 10 years. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's sort of, I think, the equivalent to how I feel about Garrick and Bashir, where it was so close Mm. but so far. And it's just this horrible reality that we're living in. I just do love their interactions throughout the rest of the series. I think that it's sort of shaped by this episode. I mean, we see in Unimatrix Zero that Janeway just holds hands with Chakotay for like Mm. a solid 30 seconds while she's on the bridge because she's about to go on this mission that she might not return from. And it's just really lovely. I think that they do learn a different type of intimacy that works only as well as it can for them, as well as they're willing to permit it to be. But it's still sweet. And I still love to see that like the resolutions is the reason that they're so bonded and so getting so much closer. Oh, well, Rihanna, thank you so much for watching this episode and taking the time to talk about these relationships in Voyager, because even though there's not a lot of love and romance, there is a lot of affection and a lot of friendship love. I mean, name a closer crew, seriously, right? and they function really well together. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to make it back to, to the Alpha Quadrant. So you betcha. Yeah. 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 We are very excited to next week be discussing Star Trek Enterprises, love and affection episode we are pumped we're going to choose those episodes pretty soon we actually just recorded our patreon episode today so that will be coming out very soon we talked about the fourth episode of the animated series so it's pretty wild and hilarious so i hope that you go check it out and us duro sisters are just so grateful to have you all as listeners and we hope that you are hanging in there in these crazy times yeah absolutely thank you rihanna 
Thank you for listening to the Duras Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the fifth episode of our Love and Affection series, where Ashton and Rihanna will discuss the loving relationships in Enterprise. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. This week, we would like to thank Sap for becoming a member of our Patreon. Now, he has exclusive access to our Star Trek trivia, reviews of Lower Decks, and the animated series. If you would like to become a patron, you can donate any amount per month and go to patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Aurelo Voltaire. What do you use to decide whether to host a Star Trek poetry event? A list of pros and cons.